Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I'm holding on to this hosting gig at the Filmcast with diamond hands. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. To the moon, Dave. Uh, you know what, <laughs> folks? Um, what was I going to say? Oh, to paraphrase The Simpsons, dumb money needs the most attention. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I'm just so glad we have a movie to remind us what life was like in the olden days of three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Dumb Money, which is about the GameStop stonks fiasco that occurred just a few years ago, as Jeff Kanata's opening statement indicated. Uh, we, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us across many platforms at the Filmcast Pod, YouTube, Instagram, Threads. Find us also on TikTok at uh, uh, the Filmcast. And you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks, including the After Dark we recorded with Dan Trachtenberg last week, revealing the movie that Dan has wanted Jeff Kanata to watch for years. <laughs> So we revealed that movie. We discussed it. And, uh, good time was had by all. Yeah. Good time was had by all. Patreon.com slash film cost. We actually got an email, Jeff. I, I sent you this saying, this is one of the best After Darks ever. Yeah. To uh, which I went, really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> really? Really? Her? But I, I'm <laughs> um, glad. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad people got a lot out of that one. But uh, yeah, the, the, the After Darks we labor our asses off for. Uh, no one's saying those are the best, but then the, the yeah. Dan Trachtenberg stops by, and now yeah. all of a sudden, it's, good it's, times. A, it's amazing. You know? Yeah. you know what I always find funny, though, is whenever I'm out for an episode, uh, we always get an email. Like, like <laughs> the best episode ever made. <laughs> <laughs> strange. I don't know what to make of that. Devinder, you went to New York, right? How was, uh, I did. How was, how was the New York life these days? Did you it, miss it your own fine. stomping grounds? Uh, yeah. I did. I got to stay in my old neighborhood in Flatbush in like uh, the freakiest Airbnb I've ever seen because it was done up like a Kingdom Hearts fan Airbnb. <laughs> there was like keyblades on the wall and stuff. I was like, this did is... you know that going in? I did. But it was also, there were not many options. When it's fashion week in New York, all the hotels are gone. <laughs> Unless you pay six hundred bucks a night, so yeah, yeah, and they're, it, they're passing that new Airbnb law too, making it so yes. this fewer Airbnb. So I was also available. really yeah. worried that oh my god, I have this one room that that is actually in a good place, and I almost lost it. So that that Airbnb law is good, and I think owners, you know, it, it's bad for renters. Renters shouldn't be putting out their rooms like that. But anyway, it was a good trip. I had to cut it early, but you know, it was fine. Well, uh, welcome back, Devinder. Glad to have you back on the podcast. Thank you. And uh, I, you know, regular listeners might not even have detected you were absent, but you were. Devinder missed our after dark, unfortunately, uh, which is a shame because Dan Trachtenberg really wanted to know what you thought about that movie. So, uh, hopefully, you have a chance to check it out at some point. At some point, it's a weird time right now at the box office. I wanted to mention that this is the this last weekend was the worst. The lowest grossing weekend of 2023. Um, there were a couple movies that opened, uh, including The Expendables 4. Uh, the movie that we were reviewing today, Dumb Money, opened in limited release. Not a single movie made over $10 million, which is real bad. Uh, and the total box office is around $51 million. That is lower than 2022 when uh, the lowest grossing weekend was $62 million. And of course, pre-COVID 2019, $123 million. So it is way, way down. Dumb um, money. They would have been happy with just some money. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow. You missed your calling. Any money? Right there. Missed, right there. You missed your calling. Uh, but I, I did want to also mention the fact that this week, we all had a chance to watch another movie that wasn't out in theaters 
called No One Will Save You. Uh, it was actually recommended by Dan Trachtenberg on The After Dark. And uh, it is a great horror film that's available right now on Hulu. And so we all decided to check it out this weekend. Yeah, we evidently there's yeah. like a, a fraternity of director Hulu director directors that like <laughs> all <laughs> high five each other. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, yeah, had, to, we yeah, had to get yeah. in on that. We had, yeah, so uh, No One Will Save You is a movie that's available on, on Hulu right now. And we decided that uh, uh, to all check it out. And we all really thought it was worth discussing. So... Uh, today we've got a bonus episode double review for you right here on the episode. This one episode will contain two reviews. We'll start with No One Will Save You. We'll move on to Dumb Money. You'll find timestamps for both uh, in the show notes with spoilers uh, uh, timestamped as well. Uh, so yeah, excited to have a, a rare double review right here on the Filmcast. That's what happens when so- you hold on to this Filmcast long enough. It increases in value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. All right. A uh, couple of other things we wanted to mention before we get to what we've been watching and then move on to our reviews today. Uh, the first thing is that uh, as we're recording this on a Monday, you know, the, the night before this podcast is recorded, it appears as though the Writers Guild and the AMPTP have reached a contract agreement to end the writer strike, which has now been going on for 146 days. Uh, still needs to be yeah, voted on by the still, members. Exactly. Yeah. Still needs to be voted on. It will take weeks to be ratified. Uh, but it does appear that, you know, the end is in sight. Now, um, we are recording this on the day before uh, or like days before the deal points will be released to the public. So maybe the deal points are going to come out and everyone's going to say like, this deal sucks. And then, you know, this will be like a weird time capsule of just this one snapshot moment in time. But uh, if we're optimistic about it, it does seem like uh, the writer strike may be on its way to ending, and that's really great news. Uh, this strike has been going on for for many months now, and um, I actually got a DM from somebody who works below the line in the film industry uh, because you know, Jeff, I'm sure you've you've heard this too. You have a lot of friends in the industry, and it you know the MPTP not giving writers a fair contract is the cause of this problem. Um, but it has impacted lots of people, not just oh, writers, yes. right? It has impacted yes. uh, caterers and dry cleaners and hairdressers and like all everyone who like relies on the economy of show business has been impacted by this in really unfortunate ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got this really lovely message last night on Instagram that I just wanted to share. Um, it uh, I posted about the, the writer's strike on my Instagram page uh, and, and the possibility of it ending. And somebody wrote in that said, quote, I and many people I know have had jobs we were supposed to do go away completely during the strike. So we are all curious to see if this actually brings about the return to shooting and what the wreckage will look like on the other side. My hunch, a transformed and maybe diminished film industry. Um, I responded, I said, I'm sorry for the pain that you've experienced. And this person responded, said, thanks. Doing what you do reminds us that people enjoy the fruits of our labor. It has helped immensely and kept us engaged in what we love doing, end quote. Um, So I found that message to be very moving. And I think uh, it's been really painful for a lot of people, especially below the line who who aren't like their contracts are not in dispute in this situation, but they're still impacted nonetheless. Um, Everyone's been hurting. And so... uh, I'm optimistic, you know, that this is going to come to an end soon. And then it's time for this for SAG after to get their contract as well. But um, yeah, we'll yeah, see. We'll deal. see how that all plays out. I mean, it's um, you, you know, you joked that maybe 
we will find out the deal points aren't great. Yeah. There's precedent for that. I, I don't think I was joking. I was being serious. You know, I, yeah. I'm hoping it doesn't. It's not the case, but I think it's very possible. You know, it certainly so. uh, it certainly has happened before, and um, yeah. you know, one hopes that there. It, it's going to be fascinating to see what the deal looks right, like. What the deal point because because they were so far apart on, on yeah. so many deal on things like AI and residuals and mini rooms. Like yeah. it felt like they're so part so far apart on many many issues. Uh, and I, 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 you know, now that we're talking about it, Jeff, I kind of regret that we're not recording this a couple of days later when we might know what the deal points are. Yeah. So maybe this will be this, uh, we'll look back on this moment and be like, wow, we were so naive back then mm. that this was going to end that quickly. But right? I think we all agree that we'd love to see the, the strike come to an end and everybody come out, um, you know, uh, more secure, better, uh, have this all be worthwhile. I, I lived through, you know, the, the writer strike several years ago, and I don't think anybody felt like. <laughs> it, it, I don't know. I don't want to say it was worth it, but uh, it, it certainly didn't seem to achieve all of the goals. You know, obviously negotiations are all about both sides feeling a little bit of pain. Um, but uh, one hopes that, that this one, the amount of time, the amount of anguish that it's caused uh, will actually result in some, you know, long term security for for these artists. Yeah, I I think it's. Um... It's worth reflecting on how different this strike has gone than last last time around. I think um, there was much less solidarity on the writer uh, on the writer side last time around. Um, I, I don't know what your perspective was, your your perception was, Jeff, but that was my perception. And I was reading like uh, a variety piece about how the last writer strike went on for 100 days, and somebody who was part of it said, "I don't know if we could have gone to 105." Like. Uh, people were so kind of fed up with the whole situation at that point. They were like, they, they didn't know if they had the support to extend the writer strike longer. This time it's gone on for over 140 days and it, it felt like they were willing to go all the way. Like they felt like they were willing to go the distance. So I do sense it's been quite a bit different this time around. And so hopefully the concessions that they've been able to extract uh, are really compelling. We'll see. We'll see. So cautiously optimistic. Anyway, that is a major piece of film news, but it's not even the most major piece of film news that we're going to be discussing on today's podcast, Jeff Kanata, because... Jeff, I think you have a big announcement that's going to shake the foundations of the media industry, correct? Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your seats. Yeah, we have a big announcement. We have a big announcement. I am very excited. <laughs> Against all odds. <laughs> uh, it turns out that all of the work that Dave has prescribed... <laughs> has a point to it or potentially could have a point to it. As you know, if you've listened to the show for any, any amount of time in the last several years, you know that uh, because Dave rules with an iron fist, I have had to toil away every episode and bring to the table a limerick review of uh, each of the movies that we talk about uh, each week, the main review. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, Somebody actually found a little value in that and wants to publish a book of those limericks and turn it into a quiz book. So we are actually putting together a crowdfunding campaign on a crowdfunded publishing uh, with a crowdfunding publishing company called Unbound at unbound.com. And the book, which is going to be called Best Summed Up, The Ultimate Film Limerick Quiz Book, 
is uh, potentially going to be published and put in stores all over the world. This is a UK-based publisher uh, that wants to publish Best Summed Up and uh, put it in gift shops and bookstores and stuff. But in order to do that, we have to hit our initial crowdfunding goal. As I'm speaking to you right now, I'm already at 44% funded, which is pretty amazing. Um, and we haven't even talked about it to the folks that I think would care the most. You, you all, the, the Filmcast listeners, you all who have actually made this happen because you support us on Patreon and you get you allow us to make the show and and uh, allow and, me and to, you, and you haven't stopped listening, even though Jeff has continued doing the limericks. You know, like, yes, which is a, that, that, a feat in and of itself. So frankly. such a massive feat, really should not be yes. understated. Yeah, yeah, your endurance, <laughs> frankly, your stamina, your <laughs> yes. longevity in listening to the show, despite uh, you know the the. Let's just be honest: the show's overall decline in quality as time yes. has gone on. And it didn't start very high. Yeah, no. So to decline from there is, is not <laughs> yeah, good. It's, it's ac that's actually the big accomplishment that we've made. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, the uh, the excruciating <laughs> moments of listening to my limericks. Now you can own them and have them in your home uh, to uh, you know torment your friends and neighbors. Absolutely. So and family members. So, honestly, I think all kidding aside, I'm I'm really proud of this in that this goofy thing that started as a lark and just sort of kept going, uh, now might end up being something that people have in their house, yeah. which is wild to me. I think <laughs> yeah. it could be a, a really fun stocking stuffer. Um, this is not going to be a super expensive book. Uh, you can get a digital edition on the Kickstarter. It's not, I shouldn't say Kickstarter. It's Unbound's own crowdfunding uh, platform. Uh, you know, we just use that word as like the Kleenex of crowdfunding. Yeah, don't, don't say the K word, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> Kleenex? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, you can get the digital edition for 15 bucks. You can get a first edition paperback coffee for 20 bucks plus shipping. Um, so, you know, this is not a super expensive book. If, if you want to get a signed uh, edition, it's 35 uh, plus shipping. So, you know, I hope that Filmcast listeners uh, will support this. We can get it over 100% funded. And then who knows? And then, you know, maybe folks will find out about the podcast just because they saw this book in a bookstore. Um, and we're like, what What kind of weird idiots do this on a podcast? Um, so really the ultimate marketing move, Jeff, to create a physical book to eventually point people back to distributed <laughs> audio content. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's just it's like amazing. we drew it up, guys. Just it's like perfect. we drew it up. I think the the origin. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead. I, I think the origin of this, if I recall correctly, is there was a period of time. Uh, I want to say in 2018, 2019 period where uh, I was getting sick all the time. Like this is pre-COVID, and there was a period where I was like, I can't do this podcast for like a few months. Like you guys got to give me a few months off, and you guys were very gracious and did that. And then when I returned, I had watched so many movies that I wanted to talk about, but I wanted to have an efficient form of expressing it. And so I read some, I wrote some limericks about these movies that I read that I had watched and the limericks were not good. They're not, they're not of the caliber that Jeff Kanata puts out, but I, you listened to you. You were there when I decided to give those limericks and you said it would like, we have to have a limerick from now on every episode. Yeah. I think I was so said. tickled that you decided yeah. to do that. That I, I I said this is amazing and this this needs to be a thing that continues. Right, and my reaction was okay, yeah, sure, Jeff. You know, as though you know, like you know, okay, that's another one of Jeff's quixotic, 
dream <laughs> pursuits, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like it, that's never going to actually happen. And then Jeff Kanata made it happen for over a hundred limericks, uh, many of which have been high art. Um, and not to see it become a book. It's just, it's really amazing. The, I love the uh, cover design, uh, which is based off of the work of uh, Cody Vandenberg, who helped us design our current logo. I loved the, I love the title of the book, Jeff. It's, did you, I assume you helped to choose the title, but it feels I like. I did not. They, they oh, suggested that to me. They I think it's a great title. title. It's mm-hmm, a great title, mm-hmm. you know, solid title. Um, and, uh, and, and completely of Jeff's invention. Uh, I think, right. I don't think, I don't think I use that phraseology the first time. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I never expected it to last this long. Honestly, I did it as a lark and I thought we'd do it a couple of times and it would fizzle out, you know, and then, uh, just sort of kept going and here we are. And part of the thing that's, I think so fun about this book is a, it's, you know, it's going to be formulated like a quiz. So there'll be sections divided into difficulty, you know? Um, and, uh, and, you know, we, we've, we've already seen this kind of work. The, the, the fellows that put together the, uh, welldave.net.net.fun? dot fun. Well, they've well, fun. fun. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, they've dot fun, uh, site showed that this could already work as a, as a quiz. So the fact that it's going to be a, a quiz book and it's going to be divided into difficulty levels and you can sort of have fun with it that way. But also I love that, it's going to be kind of this um, this compendium of a very specific time period of movies, right? Mm. There'll be, a, I'm sure there'll be a few. I'm going to, you know, write one specific for the book. There's going to be a few. Uh, we're even uh, offering some big uh, crowdfunding rewards of people just, you know, telling me uh, a, an additional movie to put in. So there'll be some that are from outside this period, but for the most part, it'll be this this record of the movies of a very specific few years. And I can envision, you know, perhaps a second volume of the next several years or something like that. Like it's, it's cool that it's just the work that we did, the movies that we covered mm-hmm. over this period, all compiled together into book form. Super yeah. cool. It, it's also cool that it's like a physical object, you know, like so much of this work we do online is not a physical, you know, it, it's just, it's bits on the interwebs, you know, but yeah. now there's going to be a physical manifestation. It's like real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Weird. hold it in your hand of like the work that we've done together. Ladies know? and Jeff? gentlemen, I mm-hmm. I will, if this happens, I will be able to tell my parents I am a published poet, mm. <laughs> which nice. y- you might not think means a lot, but it's a heck of a lot better than podcaster. <laughs> for them, for them, for amateur for, radio for, host. For Gen Z, yeah. I think it's the other way around. But yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, uh, your, your Jeff, kids will uh, think you're amazing. Anyway, I, I do want to yeah. say I hope this helps with your whole note taking strategy. <laughs> like I hope this is like kick started, like yeah. force you to like organize these things moving forward. Please, <laughs> yeah. for the love of God, Jeff, use <laughs> yeah, a yeah. freaking one note, Jeff. Come on, just just organize, tag. I don't yeah. know. It, it has at least done that. I have, I have over the last few months as this project has come together, I've I've realized, hey, you know what would be useful is to know where all this crap is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for those who don't know, Jeff, I think you had put it into one big Google, or no, not even Google Doc, like an Apple Notes, right? Is yeah. that right? Yep, Useless. that's right. Absolutely. Jeff has been right, and, and you didn't write titles next to them as far as nope. I could tell, right? No, why, yeah. why uh-huh. would so I? Just, These are disposable, the, ultimately write the, disposable. <laughs> <laughs> write the limerick, no title, 
It was, in fact, a quiz game for Jeff, too. Exactly. (laughs) Say it on the podcast, forget about it forever. That's what Mm -hmm, I thought. mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. But here we are. Here we are. And uh, anyway, so, you know, we need your help to to make sure this actually happens and shows up in bookstores. And like I said, we're, you know, 44% funded. The the book isn't super expensive. If you can, you know, if you can spare the... uh, the extra, you know, the extra money there, it, it, I think they would be fun to, you know, have as gifts for for the holidays. If you're so inclined, there's options on here for like multiple copies that you get a discount over multiple copies if you buy them. So I don't know. I think it'd be fun. I, I really hope this happens. And uh, I'm grateful to uh, Dave and Devendra for sort of enduring my uh, <laughs> and encouraging my uh, my <laughs> weirdness in this regard. And and we we kind of made something together here. This yeah, is pretty wild. It led to something. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's been it's been a pleasure, Jeff. I mean, the only thing that has been has been difficult. The 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 really the thing that's been done the most violence to is the meter of the limerick form itself. You know, like that. Other you. than that, how dare you? It's been good. <laughs> but seriously though, uh, unbound.com is where you can find it, uh, and it is currently an editor's pick uh, crowdfunding project. Uh, I don't think there's a publication date yet, though, Jeff. Right, so it might it might not no, be this, I, this year, right? Yeah. I, I, honestly, um, I'm embarrassed to say I'm not even certain how long this crowdfunding period is going to last. I think it's mm. a, a month or two. The, the faster it's backed, the faster it's made. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the there you go, Jeff. Backed. So it might Thank not you, be Devendra. it might not be there for the holidays, is what I'm saying. But like it will be there. Yeah, uh, I don't know how quickly it'll arrive. Yeah, but I think the, exactly. I think their goal is to have it in stores before the holidays. So okay. I think they're they're ambitious enough to do. Wow. That. I haven't Very told exciting. them yet that I have to find all these. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. Well, anyway, uh, check it out at unbound.com. The name of the book is best summed up. Devendra and I are very proud of Jeff uh, for this work, and uh, we hope you will enjoy it if you have a chance to check it out. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with more what we've been watching on the Filmcast right after this. All right, folks, let's talk about some what we've been watching this week. Uh, I'll talk about something. I had a chance to watch The Continental from the world of John Wick, which is streaming right now on Peacock. Uh, Great title. Great title. I was talking with Patrick Klepek about like all the different options they must have gone through for this, right? Like from the world of John Wick or uh, a John Wick story, you know? Yeah. <laughs> John Wick the, Presents. From yeah. John Wick Presents, right? It could have been a John Wick Presents. Tales uh, from the Wick. The John Wick, <laughs> the John Wick Saga, you know? Yeah. Like uh-huh. F9, the Fast Saga, like yeah. the Continental, the John Wick Saga. They just want you to know. John Wick's John Friends, Wick. the Continental. <laughs> John Wick Babies. That's another <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, John, that's another the one next that generation. <laughs> John Wick the next generation. <laughs> something, something best exotic, you know. <laughs> um, okay. Based on so, the novel by Sapphire. <laughs> I'm going to describe the premise of The Continental. This is, this is a show that I don't think anyone I know is watching or talking about. Um, but it is something I was interested in because I really enjoyed John Wick Chapter 4. And it's like, hey, if this show can deliver some solid action, uh, then it's going to be worth checking out. Why? This, why would there not be anybody talking about? It? I feel like this is a massive franchise. It's a peacock thing. Like when yeah. something hits on peacock. peacock. Thing, yeah, I yeah. think it's a peacock thing. I think not that many people watch a peacock. And you know, I don't know. Like, uh, I, uh, Je- I mean, Jeff, did you know that this was out before I said I it? I did. I've been intending to watch. <laughs> I was excited to watch it. I just haven't gotten around to it. Okay. Okay. Well, there are three ninety-minute-long episodes. Yeah, that's is, a lot. The duration, right? That's also probably a factor. That's weird. Um, yeah, I have. So the first one is out. I have seen the first two, uh, and 
Uh, my review on this is pretty mixed. I thought the first episode was solid. The problem with making a John Wick TV show, guys, is it's a prequel, right? So it's a prequel. Hmm. So, so I'll tell you the premise. John, the John Wick, uh, or sorry, the Continental from the world of John Wick takes place decades prior to the events of John Wick. So when John Wick was just a gleam in his father's eye, uh, this epi- this movie is taking place, um, and uh, the main character of the mo- the TV show is Winston. Uh, Winston, the character played by Ian McShane in the film. And it's about how he and the Continental like intersect for the first time, basically. That's the, that's the main plot of the show. And I'm pretty mixed because the problem with making a John Wick TV show is, guys, I'm just going to ask a question. Why do you think most people go to watch John Wick movies? For the intricate world building. <laughs> <laughs> They go to watch John Wick movies because of the amazing action scenes, right? Because of the action set pieces, because of the stunts. The problem is when you're making a TV show, the budget is not as big. Like Mm -hmm. John Wick Chapter 4 was virtually continuous action for the entire movie, right? If I like there's a few scenes of dialogue, but Keanu Reeves says less than 400 words during John Wick Chapter 4. Uh, and the problem with making a TV show is you don't have the budget of John Wick Chapter Four for an episode, so you and need to. Th- th- there are good action shows that yes. do exist, but yeah. t- they've been like B grade. Uh, they almost look like direct TV movies. Like there, there's been a bunch of them, and they haven't been super popular. Either. And, and when yeah. I th- when I think budget, I think Peacock. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I well, mean, Poker Face I, looked good. You know, I agree. Poker, Poker Face, was Face great. looked good, uh, but yeah, it, I, I would say the show looks shockingly good given mm-hmm. given its what i assume were its budgetary constraints but the problem is there's just you know it's it's a lot more as you said devendra intricate world building it's a lot more talking it's very little action especially in the second episode um the first episode has by my count two and a half great action scenes and the second episode has i don't think pretty much any really mm. great action scenes um <clears throat> it has some action in it but it's like the action scenes last like a minute you know, in, in the second episode. So it's like, yeah. Um, I I'd, I'd also wonder, wouldn't people want to know about like John Wick being trained by a team of like Russian ballerina assassins, <laughs> right? Like, isn't that backstory mm-hmm. what people are coming for and not, uh, so what's up with this hotel? Right. Well, you know? the, the advantage of having a character like uh, Ian McShane's character, Winston, mm-hmm. be the main character is like, you have no emotional attachment to that character at all, you know? Like people I mean, have I have no emotional expect- attachment to every Ian McShane character. So that's <laughs> you, just have no, you have no expectations for what that character will be. So uh, so that's the benefit, is you kind of get to do anything you want. And I will say, to its credit, the Continental from the world of John Wick uh, does make me care a lot more about the characters in the world than the John Wick movies do. Um, the John Wick movies are full of bluster and people doing cool things. Mm-hmm. And here you actually have like backstories for these characters and they explain them and they want you to care about them. And they largely do a pretty good job, I think. So it, it brings emotional stakes to the John Wick universe. Uh, and there are a couple of decent action scenes, but so far two episodes in, I don't know, man, it's not necessarily a thing I think you got to go and check out. Maybe the third episode is going to be nonstop action and I'll be proven wrong. Yeah, um, I don't know. In a world where Gangs of London is out, even just the first season alone, right? It's really hard to do this. Also getting a lot of uh, Pennyworth, the origin of Batman's butler vibe <laughs> from the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great comparison. But Which, by the way, is not a bad show. Not a bad show. It's, so, an, anyway. it's one of those things I don't, I cannot believe it exists. Yes. So, you know. Yes. Uh, 
the, the Origin of Batman's Butler, I think, was the new subtitle for that show. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. The Continental from the World of John Wick. If you love The World of John Wick, you want to know more about it, you don't care as much about the action, then I actually think it's a great entry into the franchise. Um, so far, the action in episode one, solid. Very respectable. Action in episode two, very disappointing. Uh, if episode three changes the game, I will let you all know. But so far, mm-hmm. it's been a mixed bag for me. That's the Continental from the world of John Wick streaming right now on Peacock. You could just go watch Gangs of London on Max right now. The one It's true. And you know what, Devendra? I've also been really wanting to check out Warrior, which I've heard is great action. Warrior is very good. That yeah. is on my list. I'm really hoping to get to it in the next few weeks. We'll see. All right. So that's the one thing I've been watching. Jeff Kanata, hit us up with something you've been watching. I checked out a new, uh, I don't know. Does the word sitcom even apply anymore? Another A new half-hour comedy from uh or on are there situations jeff the situations <laughs> and they're comedic i suppose mm, wow yeah, sitcom yeah. feels like an open shut like case to me it, it apply it, it i think it implies a uh a thing that the show isn't but that's okay um it's a half an hour comedy which you know i'm always on the lookout for half hour comedies i love the half hour comedy format my wife and i love a a, a brisk fun watch uh, giggle, some giggles, some 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 good stuff. So I'm always on the lookout for that. And Apple TV Plus debuted uh, this new show. It's called Still Up. This is a British show uh, created by uh, um, at least one actor. And uh, I think you can tell this is a show that loves actors and it loves actors getting to do dialogue. I am in love with Still Up. I am absolutely in love with this show. Uh, there's only three episodes out so far. Um, they will debut on a weekly basis hereafter. But the the concept behind this show is two friends uh, basically <laughs> talking to each other on the phone. That's the thing. That's the whole thing. Uh, it's uh, they things happen. They get themselves into situations. Uh, the situations are comedic, but they are just talking on their phone to each other through the entire episode. And it's amazing. It's amazing. It, the dialogue is snappy and fun. Their chemistry is phenomenal. These two actors are uh, uh, Antonia Thomas and Craig Roberts, neither of whom I've seen in anything before, uh, British actors, but they're both fantastic. Their chemistry is amazing, which is remarkable because they're never in the same room at the same time. And I don't know how they shoot these you know, if they're actually, you know, in each other's ear doing the other half of the dialogue when they're shooting, but they're in completely disparate locations. And you would assume shooting these scenes on completely different days, probably different weeks apart, um, because, you know, they're in one place, you would shoot out all the stuff in one place, and then you'd go to the other place and shoot out all the stuff in the other place. And so, you know, I don't know how they have manufactured such wonderful chemistry because uh, the interactions are by the very nature of how you make television uh, stilted, right? They're time shifted. And and I don't know how they do that, but it's wonderful because you always get the sense that they're interacting with each other, each other. And it really feels like this post, 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 post modern (laughs) view of interaction relationships, because it's very much how people interact. We just talk to each other over the phone. You know, it's it's post-COVID, it's post, uh, you know, cell phone revolution. It's just this new normal of we're just interacting with each other in our own space, but together, right? 
I've never seen a show attempt to that. It's a very precarious thing to try because like I said, getting the chemistry right is hard and kind of pulling off the fact that literally an entire half an hour of this show is just one person talking into a phone and the other person talking into a phone. But it is <laughs> incredible. It's so funny. It's so fun. It's so smart. One of the characters, um, the uh, Craig Roberts character is the shut-in who sort of, ha you know, has a lot of anxiety and doesn't want to leave his house. And uh, the the other, the uh, Antonia Thomas character is, um, she's a mom and, you know, she's, both of them sort of get themselves into ridiculous uh, predicaments because they're, you know, being dishonest or they're you know, trying to, you know, figure out a way to, to, to you know, <laughs> do something without other people knowing about it. I've never seen some of these situations. Uh, they seem very novel and and clever. And like I said, it is so, it, it feels unique in that it is the kind of dynamic that has never been dramatized. I, you, you'll get a scene here or there in a movie where people are on other ends of a phone. This is the entire show. They're mm -hmm. on other ends of a phone. Do you ever watch show. Uh, Calls, Jeff? On Apple TV at Calls. Oh, uh, no, I never saw that. Alvarez show. That, that is, this one you at least see actors, right? In this show, Calls was just like waveforms of oh, audio conversations. Yeah, I do remember so that. Apple has been doing this weird, you know, new formats. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So maybe it isn't uh, as original as as I um I think more purported. people will see this because Calls, Calls was weird. I liked it, but yeah. It still, I think, speaks to our time in an interesting way. Um, I don't know. Obviously, the show may morph as it goes on, but the first three episodes are basically that. And I, I love it. I, I, it really highlights the strength of the writing because it's just this snappy dialogue. It's just these people, um, you know, bantering back and forth. And it's, and it's brilliant. It's funny. It's smart. I really like Still Up on Apple TV+. Awesome. I will have to try and check this out, Jeff. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you're a fan of uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, so excited to see it on Apple TV Plus. All right. Devinder Hardware, hit us up with some of you watching. Guys, would you believe that John Carney made a movie about music bringing people together? <laughs> would you believe that? That is shocking. <laughs> shocking. That is so, a, you know, I thought he was only going to do that <laughs> once. Oh. Mm. Oh. Mm. Now this is. Uh, I this thought is he was only going to do that when he was on. Sing Street. <laughs> we all wanted him to begin again, guys. Mm. This is the fourth this, this movie that he's is, done this. This podcast is canceled. This podcast is canceled. <laughs> but no, I cannot believe John Carney keeps getting away with this. But uh, once again, <laughs> we have a movie about people coming together with the power of music. I saw Flora and Son. Uh, it was in theaters in um, in New York. And it's going to be heading to Apple TV Plus at the end of this month as well. And I really liked it. It's uh, it's very sweet. I think it is a this is a guy, you know, imagine making a movie like once, which I think is a goddamn masterpiece. I saw that movie several times in theaters. That was a big indie theater hit. Uh, the soundtrack was everywhere. It became a stage show. But I also kind of feel like John Carney cannot get out of the shadow of once a bit. Um, you know, begin again, which was it's, the Mark it's John Carney's yeah. District Nine, as yeah, it were. yeah. <laughs> Except he's been far more successful, I think, about making follow-ups, right? Like, he cannot get out of the shadow, but Begin Again is fine. I think Sing Street is actually really good. I love uh, that movie. It's a great movie. Twist on that formula. It's about younger folks. So, like, it's very heartfelt. This is a guy that loves music, and you can tell. 
and he does a good job with his films of portraying like the power of music. Florence Sun is a movie about um, a single mother and her son who are kind of at odds. Uh, she's played by Eve Hewson, who I really like. Uh, she was in Bad Sisters. She was in The Nick for a while. She's also Bono's daughter. So, you know, has some of that musical DNA in her. Um, but it's about these two folks who cannot quite connect. Um, uh, the character, Flora, she was also a teen mom. So the, the she is now like in her young 30s and she has a teenager. And, you know, she's trying to get through life. She's somebody who's not quite put her life together. Um, her son is constantly getting in trouble. One day she finds a guitar and she gets it in her mind to be like, okay, well, maybe, maybe this could be a good gift for my kid. You know, or maybe this could be something that could help bring us together. I'm not going to spoil much else about what happens there, but that guitar is important. Maybe not necessarily for the sun, but it is another movie about the power of music and how like, you know, it can help to transcend the say things that we cannot quite say to each other with words. Sometimes I think there's something beautiful about that. This is also, um, it's not just like a treacly sweet movie too. Like it is, it's rated R. You know, people swear at each other. These people are jerks to each other. Uh, I think Flora at times is is not a great mom, you know, and the movie just has you kind of sit with that and try to deal with that. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is also in this movie, guys. He plays a guitar teacher who kind of helps her discover the power of music as well. I would say if there's a weak point of this movie, as much as I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I, I don't think he quite carries the role of like what needs to be. He He's sort of like a musical Yoda figure. He's sort of like a remote romantic interest. And I think that's an interesting thing Carney also always does, um, where there's always an emotional connection because of music, right? But something keeps them, something keeps that pair from being fully together. That happened in once, that happened in Begin Again. Um, I think there's a lot to mind there. It's just kind of funny to see that happen again. And then Joseph Gordon-Levitt um, appear out of nowhere. You know, you, you don't quite expect him, but he's there on a video wild chat. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is spotted occasionally. Just spotted. Yeah, yeah. And uh, j- just want to say, like, uh, we've talked about the verisimilitude of things like only murders in the building. And uh, one one thing that kind of irked me here is like... Um, <laughs> The conversations take place entirely over FaceTime or Skype, probably FaceTime, given what what Apple is trying to sell here. And the movie does a great job of showing like, oh, man, people on YouTube, like normal YouTubers, uh, they're usually shooting on crappy webcams or something, you know, just like really whatever. You know, YouTube content is not the greatest quality out there. She calls this guy. And it's like a friggin studio camera. Just like, just like teleported to her MacBook screen. So I found that kind of funny. It's like uh, Apple, Apple just could not like let that be. Mm-hmm. Apple couldn't let compression artifacts yeah. or the reality of FaceTime uh, be a reality. You know, it just looks like he's in studio, uh, direct feed. Not even, not even going over the internet or anything. So I found that kind of funny. We've got to um, take more, like, uh, more, more tips from Magic Mike's last. Is it Magic Mike's last dance? Yeah, that? yeah, that Remember was a that real was Zoom a, call. There was a Zoom call in that movie that looked like it was actually a Zoom call. No, it was lo- actually a Zoom call because yeah. there was like no effort put into it. No effort, and, no effort to put into any of the people's you know audio and video. And that's how that we movie. all Zoom. That's yeah. how everybody zooms exactly. these days. That's how exactly. we all communicate. So anyway, it actually takes you out of it when it's yes, not that when it's you know? too perfect. So I do think like. As these things start to explore tech, um, you know, it, it, it just kind of it's because me and what I do and what we all create here, like it's a little more jarring. But I also feel like these stories will feel more real when the tech feels more real, too. So that's one thing that kind of brought me out of it. Also feel like um, this movie could have used somebody maybe a little who has a little more connection to Flora than, than Joseph Gordon Hewitt. Um, Joseph Gordon Levitt. I mean, jo- yeah, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Um, and also uh, Drac Rayner the boyfriend from uh, Midsommar, 
is also in this movie and he plays the the ex-husband to flora and i think he you know he, he gets his time to shine too but it's really about flora and her son and i think uh it's very sweet and i'd love to know like uh, i don't know if people will be into like where this movie ends up but i think it's very john carney-esque it is very sweet even though the characters can be horrible to each other quite often and i think it does that balance really well so yeah I'm, i think jeff i think you will dig it but it's not quite the sort of like I think Sing Street is a much more sweet and uplifting movie, but this one is very well done too. My wife has literally put this on our calendar. It oh is, yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. she's she loves Sing Street. We listen to the soundtrack constantly. Our kids know all the lyrics, you know, mm-hmm. to drive it like I stole it. This one is very much about parenting, but also about how much parenting can like crush your soul a little bit. So, mm, well, that sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do Campbell, you? Uh, uh, I'll sh- how, we'll definitely be watching it this week. Mm-hmm. How does your wife, uh, how'd your wife hear about it? I'm just curious, you know? She saw, I don't remember, she saw some ad, uh, or actually maybe she saw it on the internet that, that a new yeah. movie was coming from the From the director of Sing Street. Yeah. Street. That's yeah. all she cared about. She's like, oh, we, that's one of, it's one of our favorite movies. It's, mm-hmm. uh, she loves that movie. Like I said, we, we sing this soundtrack yeah. all the time. When he hits, he hits. I don't think the songs are as good as Sing Street or Once either in this movie, but it's it's fun. Like, uh, it, is, it is that vibe. And I think like every couple of years, I just need a dose of like John Carney's musical optimism, maybe. Well, that is Flora and Son. It'll be out on Apple TV later this week, I believe. And, September 29th. Uh, and it is something that Divinger Harder has been watching. Let's take a, another break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more what we've been watching right after this. All righty. So I had a chance to watch the William Friedkin 2003 film, The Hunted, hmm. at the recommendation of Divinger Hardware. Yeah. Uh, and this is the action thriller uh, starring Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio Del Toro. Uh, this movie did not get very good reviews when it first came out. I think it was uh, a little, yeah, it was not quite uh, admired enough. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I've been having this really weird experience where most movies made before, I'm going to say 2000 uh, or even 2005, I, I just have a real fondness for and forgiveness for because there's so many things that are in those movies that you just don't see in movies anymore you know um in this case you have academy award-winning actor tommy lee jones facing off against academy award-winning actor benicio del toro basically tommy lee jones trains benicio del toro to be an extremely efficient killer uh, but benicio del toro has like a psychotic break or loses his connection with reality and just starts killing people you know randomly or you know according to who he thinks he wants to kill and so tommy lee jones needs to hunt him down and and apprehend him and that's the whole movie is it's kind of this cat and mouse yeah. game between the he's two gone all broken arrow it's great yeah rogue uh you know he's gone rogue he's gone awol he's gone he's a loose cannon whatever you want to call it rogue agent uh this movie has a 29 percent rotten tomatoes was not reviewed very well i think you know i think part of the reason it was not reviewed well is because of how vicious it is mm-hmm. uh there's a lot of stabbing deaths in the movie, and I think people are like really turned off by that. Meanwhile, Devendra, you and I were like, "Come on, we night we, fight. We yes. see like eight of these stabbing deaths before breakfast every day when we're watching <laughs> the stuff we watch." You know, so my like, TikTok it, feed is pretty vicious. Yes, yeah. So it's like exactly. So it's like this is not a big deal at all. Um, the character work is not awesome. Like you, you don't really learn enough about these characters to really care about them. But it has some great action sequence. You know, it has some great action sequences. Mm-hmm. William Friedkin knows how to create a thrilling sequence and there's many of them in this movie um there's a there's a sequence where tommy lee jones jumps off the roof of a house 
that I thought was amazing. You know, yeah, I know it's yeah. not probably wasn't actually him, probably was a stunt double, but it was like the way they cut it together made it look spectacular. So I'm gonna say I think this movie is underrated. Uh, it's not like an amazing movie. It's not as good as Sorcerer or any of William Freakin's other great action. It's not as good as The French Connection or anything like that. But it certainly deserves better than mm-hmm. uh, you know the the sort of critical reception that it received. Sometimes you want a good knife fight. You know, it's sometimes you want to see Benicio del Toro try to knife an old man. You know, like that's kind <laughs> of and if if you who are we to stand in the way of that? So I had a great time with uh, the Hunted which is, again, a 2003 film that's streaming right now on Max, the one to watch for HBO. And yeah, it's part of my effort to kind of catch up on all of William Friedkin's movies um, before, uh, uh, you know, just uh, not, not before anything, just uh, just because I really want to uh, brush up on the, the work of this guy who I think was really, really talented. So, And he recently passed. So anyway, The Hunted is one other thing I've been watching this week. All right, Jeff Kanata. Uh, what is one other thing you've been watching this week? Well, I often come to the What We've Been Watching segment with uh, stand-up comedy. I'm a big fan of stand-up comedy. I'm always excited when a new stand-up special hits on one of the streaming services. Um, and this week, one of my favorite comedians, Michelle Wolf, had a new special, although it's uh, structurally a little different than what I expected. Usually you get an hour or, you know, thereabouts, slightly less, slightly more, depending on the comedian, uh, you'll get that as a standard special. You get this, this out, basically an hour. Uh, well, Michelle Wolf's new special, It's Great to Be to be Here, is done as three episodes, three 20, 25-minute episodes, uh, which I, I think is a pretty novel approach, pretty interesting. I like that, yeah. Yeah, more bite-sized, and they seem to be recorded in uh, their own different... Uh, locations, different time that, you know, it's not, it's not just one special that was kind of chopped up into three parts. It does feel like they were recorded at different clubs uh, at different periods of time. Um, And she's hilarious. So insightful and biting and brave and funny. Uh, I really like Michelle Wolf. People may know her from uh, the uh, correspondence dinner that she hosted uh, several years ago. Now Um, that's when I first became aware of her and I have been following her career ever since. And I think these are great. She's very, very funny. Uh, she, she really took it to the, the, this is the White House Correspondents Dinner. Mm-hmm. And she really took it to them. She really kind of oh, made everyone uncomfortable. Hold no punches. Spe- yeah. Spectacular way. Yeah, it was, so it was an amazing performance. Yeah, And I think that characteristic uh, perseveres here. She she is pulling no punches. She goes after, you know, uh, people and and groups and, you know, skewers and, and highlights the hypocrisy of of you know, uh, of, of the way we all behave. And I thought it was very, very funny. And, uh, I highly recommend watching, uh, it's great to be here. Michelle Wolf's new three part series. And and it's kind of fun to be able to be, be like, Oh, I'll put on this like 25 minute stand up thing and maybe I'll roll into the next one or maybe I'll save it for later. You know, it's kind yeah. of a fun bite-sized version of, of that. As opposed to like a typical stand up special, you've got to commit to maybe like 70 minutes perhaps. Right. Perhaps. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Uh, I'm looking forward to checking this out. I'm also a big Michelle Wolf fan, and I was excited to see she had a new series on on Netflix, series of specials. So uh, it's great to be here on Netflix. One other thing Jeff Canale has been watching, and that's going to bring us to the end of what we have been watching. Weekly. 
All right, it's time for weekly plugs. I just want you guys to know the way this interface is configured. Sometimes I try to change the volume of the sound. Mm, you just start clicking, and it starts. Yeah, it, it starts. Yeah. It. Happened really, to me many times, David. Hap- yep, not a great interface. Yeah. yeah, not the greatest interface. Zencaster, you got to work on that. Okay. Anyway, weekly plugs, the part of the show where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my free newsletter that you should subscribe to right now, decodingeverything.com. Uh, had some great pieces up there recently, including a piece about the best films at the Toronto International Film Festival. But this week, I wrote a piece about Hassan Minhaj, who recently was uh, revealed by The New Yorker to have fabricated many of details of his uh, specials or stage shows, whatever you want to call them. And uh, I was quite upset by this. And you can read about why over at decodingeverything.com in a new article I wrote called Hassan Minhaj Went Too Far. Uh, but check that out at decodingeverything.com. And again, the newsletter is completely free to subscribe. Devinder Hardwar, your weekly plug. Oh, we should talk about the Hassan Minaj thing at some point. But uh, yeah, my plug is uh, the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. We talked about the iPhone 15 reviews and also my experience covering Microsoft's recent Surface slash AI event, which was a little weird, a little, little like underwhelming because basically Microsoft announced this thing. It was like, hey, Copilot, hey, it's AI for, for everything in Windows. It's uh, confusing, so you can go check out my live blog of that and go check out this episode of the Engadget Podcast. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? You heard us talk about it at the top of the show. I just want to reiterate, I want to plug uh, Best Summed Up, the ultimate film quiz limerick book. Uh, you can find it at unbound.com slash books. All right. And of course, I want to always plug the Patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Last week, we had Dan Trachtenberg on the show to uh, cover a mystery movie that he had suggested Jeff Kanata. Next week, we're going to be doing a rewatch of William Friedkin's The Exorcist in preparation for the release of Exorcist The Believer. So really excited about that. Check it out at patreon.com slash film podcast. Of course, we never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them financial hardship. You can always support the show for free. Share one of our reels on Instagram at the filmcast pod is our uh, handle there or leave a star rating or a review for us on apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts it really does help us to stand out uh thanks to everyone who makes this podcast possible by listening by sharing about us and or by uh funding the show we really really appreciate it all right now before we get to our review of no one will save you uh there is one thing i will want to explain about the premise of the movie uh so if you don't want to know anything about the premise of the movie now is the time to opt out of the podcast but this is a movie uh basically i'm going to reveal some details about what the premise is starting now uh where there is no dialogue for the overwhelmingly vast majority of the movie Mm -hmm. Uh, and so i'm about to play a trailer from no one will save you and that trailer will be very confusing if you're not aware of that fact. It's so just thumps and sounds. It's just thumps and sounds for like <laughs> 10 seconds. So like, I just wanted to explain that before I played the trailer. So you, you all know. I love, I love the idea of, of these, the filmmaker, like delivering the footage to the, to the person cutting the trailer. And the, per- yeah. the person's like, what am I, what am I supposed to do with this? Make lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> film is a visual language. Yes. Film is a visual language. Oh, anyway. <laughs> so anyway, uh, just wanted to explain that before playing the trailer. But anyway, here we are now going to get to our review of No One Will Save You. <sighs> okay. 
Welcome to the Filmcast review of No One Will Save You. I'm going to read the plot summary from the internet. Bryn finds solace within the walls of the home where she grew up until she's awakened one night by strange noises from unearthly intruders. This movie is directed by Brian Duffield. It's streaming right now on Hulu. I knew nothing about this movie other than that it was doing really well at screenings and also that our buddy Dan Trachtenberg recommended it to us recently on an After Dark, but I was really looking forward to checking it out. People Devindra were talking Hardwar. about it on Twitter. Like, it was yeah. all over the place, yeah. Devendra, I'm curious, you know, so, but we, in general, I think we had relatively few expectations. It's not yeah. based off of, like, existing IP that everyone's aware of, you know. Um, we all, a lot of people know Caitlin Deaver from shows like mm-hmm. Justified, but, like, you know, she's not somebody who, um, I think, honestly has really done something like this before, um, something quite like She's this. She's so, so good in Justified. So yes. good. So Agreed. good. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I'm just trying to say, I feel like I personally had very few expectations going into this, other than that, that it might be really good. So Devinder Hardwar, I am really curious. What did you think of No One Will Save You? Well, I heard the initial pitch, which is that this is basically an alien invasion movie. And I kind of felt like what I felt going into uh, the movie Nope, you know, it's just like, oh, man, this is my dream of the 90s. My nightmares of the 90s, for some reason, was was all about aliens. And I don't know what was going on in the culture at the time. I don't know if it was X-Files or just we were just really bored, you know. So um, alien abductions were like a big thing in the 90s. And I yeah, and it feels per- like they've gone away a little bit. Right. And like uh, that story. But, like now, that, that, but now we have like video evidence of like these vehicles <laughs> or like these things in the air. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, they exist. We don't know what they are. Yeah. but. Eh. So it, it is kind of funny that the world we're living in now is a little bit different. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I grew up watching movies like Communion and Fire in the Sky. And so like something about that idea Same. was Same. always just a little terrifying to me. So, yeah, to, and, to have. And, the, and let's, yeah. let's pause and, and just like mm-hmm. the, the essential elements of yes. the story, right, are yes. uh, green or gray men. Gray uh, men. Very, gray very, men. very slender. Yes. Well, Little Green Men is the title of an X-Files episode. But like, yes. green or yes. gray men. Um, very slender in build, big, big eyes, eyes, huge skulls, telekinetic powers, and they take you up to their ship with tractor beams. Well, and they, they, they come at night and you're yeah. paralyzed and you can't yeah. do anything. And just like that concept always, right. always sort of grabbed me as a kid. And they like experiment on your body oh, or man. implant things in your body or whatever. Like, I saw are, Fire in the Sky way too young. and uh, Me too. That was amazing, amazing movie. When that I, when that I was movie a kid. is questionable, but that idea, that that scene of the abduction is just like somebody was talking about. It's like it par- perhaps the most accurate like representation of just like what a complete alien force would do to a human being. Like, what do mm. we do to animals? Right? We don't care mm. about their well being. We don't really care about their pain. We just carve. It's terrifying. Anyway. This movie, I was excited that the director of Spontaneous was kind of diving into this territory. I love Caitlin Deaver. Just love the idea of it. I thought this movie was fantastic. Um, it does sort of expand on the idea of the greys. And uh, we'll talk about some of that in spoilers. And I, I have to, I, I just take issue with like removing the purity of that a little bit. But <laughs> this is fun. This is like a really fun thriller and i think it leans into the idea of alien abductions certainly differently than nope did and i'm not going to spoil that movie but there's Heck, certainly Devendra's like yeah if hey aliens are one very specific thing one yes thing. we've never <laughs> seen them before but they're one, one thing. very yeah. specific thing Listen, jeff there are tomes <laughs> how dare there you deviate how dare you deviate books. from the lore uh, the that sanctity we've all of the lore <laughs> alien blue book jeff <laughs> we could talk about project blue book we could talk about uh benny and barney hill we could talk about all these things and like the lore it is like a weirdly consistent thing 
Like if you delve deeper into alien lore, then they talk about like, oh, there's these like um, almost sort of like Nordic looking blonde aliens. I don't know. But anyway, the thing that's in my heart are, are the greys and they are terrifying and still terrify me. Um, I think this movie does a fantastic job. It is essentially a silent film too. And it really just goes to show like Brian Duffield's skill in terms of like framing and telling a story visually. And also all this stuff is very fitting for a character who, you know, I, I think feels very alien in her own world in a certain way too. Like, so I like the layers of meaning here. I like the just sheer execution of what's going on. Um, this movie is a blast. Like I, I love a horror movie like this. And I love that we're sort of just re-exploring this concept because the inherent idea of an alien abduction story, I think is terrifying. And maybe it was signs. Signs was like the last one where it was like, oh, that's it. We're kind of done with this era. That's a terrifying movie that I think a lot of people were always like, it was a contentious film, but I always thought that was like the perfect representation of like what always terrified me about this idea of alien abduction. So anyway, this movie is fun. Uh, maybe not quite what exactly what I was terrified of as a kid, but I think it's a good time. It does not honor the legacy of the Greys, but uh, it's still, still a great time. In communion, just like a little eye at a door, at a door sill, like a, a, in the door frame. <laughs> terrifying. Guys, come on. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on No One Will Save You? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on No One Will Save You are best summed up in the form of a limerick. The director so deftly conferred every thrill and chill as they occurred with just sights and sounds. This film so astounds that I'm also at a loss for words. Wow. Nice. Nicely done, Jeff. Nicely Thank done. you. This movie rocks. Uh, it blew me away. I think this movie is amazing. It, it is a gimmick movie, right? The gimmick is no talking, no talking, no dialogue, right? I think this movie is incredible, not because of its gimmick, but in spite of its gimmick. Mm -hmm. I don't think the gimmick adds anything to this movie. In fact, mm. I kind of wish there was some dialogue in this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. But somehow it transcends that limitation and that self-imposed limitation that I kind of, I kind of don't understand. Like it's a cool trick. It's a cool, you know, you guys differ from me <laughs> in that uh, I think a one-er in a movie is always cool. Like I've never seen a oneer and went, that was superfluous. No, I'm always how, do we, into. how do we differ? How do we differ about that? I'm, I thought you were. I thought you were. You you would say that sometimes a oneer feels a little. Uh, I mean, sometimes on a, on a sure. rare occasion, you know. Yes, like I'm saying, I never feel that way. <laughs> like Jeff 90, is saying his critical faculties just zero in that. I'm saying when it comes to one ninety nine point nine percent of the time, I think a oneer is amazing, and I celebrate it, and it's you know, I'm and, impressed. And that point one percent, we differ, baby. We differ. Uh, <laughs> but what the point I'm trying to make here is <laughs> I don't think this trick, though it is impressively pulled off here, because as I indicated in the limerick, I think there is a lot of story conveyed mm -hmm. in a way that you don't usually convey, convey story, right? It is like a silent movie. It is. We get things. I mean, there are a couple of cheats. We have people writing things down on the cameras like, look at the words. It's like, nah. I mean, I, say them if you want. If you want it words makes sense in the movie, why the main character doesn't speak really, right? Maybe everybody else, like maybe, yeah, we, we could have well, had. Yeah, some let, let's yeah. just say yeah. that um, I, I will. You know, I, I have more to say in spoilers, but like, 
I think that the the um whether or not like whatever justification, if there was one mm-hmm. for why no one is speaking, felt inadequate to me. Let's put mm. it that way. Or or the, the justification for making a movie where there's at so a, little dialogue. Yeah. At a certain point, it really it, it just sort of stands out. Yes. Right? It, it, yeah. it draws yeah, attention yeah, yeah, yeah. to itself. It draws attention yeah. to itself. I agree. Yes. I agree. And yet I think this movie is phenomenal. Like I don't it doesn't hold it back from being brilliant and riveting. And, you know, <clears throat> DaVinci's right. Yeah, you know, the, the era before the 90s, it was Close Encounters. It was E.T. It was mm-hmm. the aliens are coming, but aren't they great? Isn't it amazing? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It was wonder and awe and, and you know, good yeah. feelings. And then Star the 90s Trek came around. Stuff. Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. And then the 90s came around and it was like, no, they're coming to get you, man. They're coming to get you. No, I mean, the sci-fi you, aliens were terrifying for decades, like the 50s, well, sure. 60s, and 70s. It was like the 80s were like, oh, they're cute. You know, that's nice. How about right. that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this one leans all the way back into that notion mm-hmm. of, this is terror. And this is a horror movie. It's a horror. It's PG 13, but it's, this is a horror movie. And I will tell you as somebody who watched this movie, my wife out of town alone in my big house, my children asleep, you know, there's a bump in the house and you go, it's, it it, it really does get under your skin because the filmmaking is so stellar. It's so top notch. The, the creation of tension, the unexpected moments, there were, I would say three, at least two, maybe three moments where I said out loud, holy shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, just an, some incredibly surprising, jarring, thrilling, you know, spine tingling turns that happen in this movie. And it's just great to see it. And, and it really is. I mean, I love the fact that it's called No One Will Save You, right? This is a survival movie. This is one person. In a situation, what are you going to do? There's no one coming for you. There's no one coming to save you. How do you handle it? What do you do? And I I really was transported, especially alone in my house at that moment, transported into that experience and being Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, this really would be a harrowing experience. And I I will tell you, the, the process of watching this movie to me was half hour in, I can't believe there's an hour left of this movie. Where are they going to go? <laughs> 50 minutes in. I can't believe there's 40 more minutes of this movie. Where can they go from here? You know, an hour yeah. and 10 in. I cannot believe there's 20 more minutes of this movie. Where could it possibly go from here? <laughs> it just kept amping up and it, it, it gets to the point. It crescendos like four times where you go, well, that's where most movies end right there. But there's 20 more minutes. What yeah. happens now? I got shades of, uh, no wonder Dan Trachtenberg liked this. I got shades of like 10 Cloverfield Lane. Totally. Yeah. With this yeah. movie. So yeah, uh, similar vibes. It so. is, it's a thrill ride. It's, it is so well executed. It, it is tense. It is awesome. You, you know, it takes this very familiar trope and really puts a fresh coat of paint on it. It, it, it feels so, um, you know, bold and interesting and unique. I just thought, I think this might end up on my top 10 of the year. Mm. I loved Mm. No One Will Save You. I loved it. I basically agree with 100% of what you said, Jeff, uh, which is pretty rare statement for me. I I think it's- (laughs) Usually it's uh, 99.9, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, the only thing I think I'll add is I think Caitlin Deaver is incredible in this. I think mm-hmm. it is difficult to do the range of what she is trying to accomplish, to be joyful, to be sad, to be heartbroken, to be in terror for most of this film without dialogue. That is very, very challenging. Yeah. She goes and, through the whole face of emoji, you know, in this right, movie. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think it was... She didn't have to memorize anything, though, yeah, Dave. It's yeah. super easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was... Um, you know, there's this movie I talk about sometimes called The Five Obstructions, which is like a really amazing movie. Uh, the The point of the movie is like, hey, this uh, Lars von Trier tells this director like, hey, remake this movie, but with like a different obstruction each time. Like any like no shot longer than 12 frames, you know, like in this one, it's got to be animated or like, you know, what he'll like insert a uh, a constraint and then you get to see like the the beauty and interestingness and um, inventiveness that comes as a result of resourcefulness. Yeah. Yeah, The resourcefulness that comes as a result of constraint. Um, Now in that movie, it's set up as an, like as an experiment. Like, Hey, we're doing obstructions. Whereas in this movie, I think there's less of a justification for it. Uh, But despite that, like the fact that they decided to do it that way, it does allow you to see what is possible without dialogue, what is possible for someone like Caitlin Deaver? What can she accomplish without dialogue? And it's really extraordinary. I think she is ridiculously good in this. And uh, and yeah, it's very different than the roles I've seen her play in Justified and um, Party Down and, you know, other mm-hmm. things that she's been in. I mean, she's um, very good at playing tough. And this exactly. this is a movie that does kind of t- tap into her innate toughness mm-hmm. and grit. grit. Yeah. yeah, grit, but also a lot yeah. of vulnerability as well, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's uh, yeah, for sure. I think she's extraordinary. So, uh, and the only other thing I want to highlight too is uh, that I assume this is a relatively low budget movie, um, but I, I felt like they allocated the visual effects and the and separately the special effects budgets into the correct places. Like I felt like there were a lot of big, great moments that they wanted to convey, and in general few exceptions, but in general, I felt they chose the right mix of what to show practically, what to show CG, just based off of what I can tell from watching the movie. And so really great job uh, on that front from Brian Duffield as well. So there's a lot more stuff I want to discuss in spoilers, but yeah, I think we all love the movie. Um, so let's get into spoilers. I hope everybody yeah. watches this. Yes, I really check do. It, out. It's, it's, it deserves to be right like there a on Hulu. prey level hit for Hulu, you know? Agreed. Spoilers for No One Will Save You, starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right. Devendra... What's your beef with the Greys in this movie? Let's start with that. Well, you know, it's it's more like, oh, well, well the Greys. We start with the Greys. Oh, they're terrifying. This one is like, uh, it's telepath, telekinetic powers could like float really creepily. Um, you don't like the spindly fingers? I like the spindly fingers. Yeah, I think it's perfectly cool. fine. Then we get to, oh, there's just monsters. There's just a goddamn spider monster Grey, and I don't. <laughs> I also I was also thinking like, why? Why do you need a spider monster gray? Because it's sort of like the commander. It's like communicating with the ships. It doesn't have telekinesis. It like has to run and chase things. So you have like, you have the thing. You have one creature that is all powerful. 
you know, can control things with their, their minds. And then you also have the monster things. I just cannot quite gel the two. I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand, like, yeah. what's the hierarchy of this society of the greys? <laughs> right. Okay. No, that's that's fair. And uh, look, I have a few complaints with the movie. Okay. Yeah. One of them is... It felt like maybe one encounter too many. Like, sure, I don't think you sure. need all those. Like, it's there. We've mm-hmm. already made the point of like each encounter is really well done. But by the time like the third or fourth one happens, I'm like, okay, I think I get mm-hmm. where where this is going. Um, now, uh, I will say that you know, putting that aside, uh, you know, s- second related complaint about that, by the way, actually, is uh, l- the science comparison is good because it is a little bit ridiculous to me that these. Yeah. Creatures that have mastered interstellar space travel and have telekinetic powers can be yeah. like so easily foiled by this person. Like, and they expect know. them to have a knife, you know? Right. right. Ooh, I hope they didn't bring a knife to a telekinesis fight. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so so that that did great on me as well. But putting that aside, each mm-hmm. each individual sequence is really well done, and there is one heart stoppingly amazing sequence, in my opinion, which mm-hmm. is the sequence when she gets basically caught up in that red tractor beam and like the little creature, like the, the little parasite thing goes up to her mouth. The conception and execution of that is just really well so amazing. Like when she goes in the beam, she can't move, but she can still like blink and stuff. And um, the sound design, like everything goes super muffled. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's just so Pure night terror. That's like amazing. being in a night terror. Yeah. yeah. It's the, like the sort of like idea. Per- sleep paralysis mm-hmm. basically. Right. Like I think, I think yeah. that entire sequence even before that, all the beam stuff in the house, mm-hmm. the way she like she sees the the you know she she starts a teaming her house hard. She's like, yeah. gonna, fuck these guys! I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> like a, I'm gonna get ready for this shit. And then she sees the little nail come out, and she immediately yeah. dies behind the thing. And then everything after that. With like beams coming in the house, stuff yeah. levitating, her beam coming to us and like trapping her hand in the beam and like all that. Believable. Yeah. And all of the beam stuff I thought w- was so neat. I mean, obviously, we've seen beam from sky in lots of yeah. things. <laughs> this is a blue beam in sky I can get behind. Yeah, yeah. finally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that moment Scary where the, the yeah. one dude who's being controlled uh, falls mm-hmm. halfway in it, you know, yeah. bent back. Oh, dude, yeah. it's just. So well done. And and again, taking something that is very familiar mm-hmm. and having a fresh take on it is, is so neat. Yeah. I think the whole- there's more of the simpler things, like early on, just the fridge sequence, which is something mm. I will think about for a while, too. That is just pure placement yeah. of the fridge and the door <laughs> to even allow that thing to be happening. And then, yeah, after a certain point, she, she's kind of breathing kind of hard. Like, if you were some sort of, like, <laughs> inter you know interstellar being, you could probably tell that there was a creature here. Maybe you would have the yeah, technology yeah, like to you scan can move, a house. You can you know? move things with your mind, but you don't yeah. know that they're right there. You know, that anyway, they're right whatever. There. I, but, do, I do like the sort of like the fingers over the fridge so door. Good. Just like, yeah. just like just creepy enough and her so getting good. out of that. Like, so that's where, you know, when the movie started to escalate, I was like, okay, I'm on board, but I really like they got the simple things down really right. That moment where she stunned. slams its head yep. with the cupboard. Yep. Right. I, I was stunned <laughs> so by bad. that scene where um, like she tries to run away and the door flies off of its hinge like its yeah. frame and like slams into her almost knocking her out that yeah. was like yeah. one of the first big wow moments of the movie for me was i was just stunned by uh, how physical the physicality of that whole sequence it looked like they actually ripped yes. the door off its hinge and just slammed it into caitlin deaver and i was like i hope she's okay um yeah. i don't think they actually i don't think she's hurt but i'm just well, saying slamming her to the ceiling too was yeah, very yeah, yeah. physical and visceral so yeah we got to talk about the ending of the movie Okay, so what happens in this movie is her whole 
like a bunch of people in her town seem like they are now in control uh, mm-hmm. of like under the control of the aliens the introduction she, of that in the bus by the way perfection so yeah it's uh it's like a, an invasion of the body snatchers mm-hmm. prequel right yep the bus scene by the way was the first scene where i was like okay really people should be talking in this scene people right? should like, be talking <laughs> yes. somebody should say something yeah, yeah. like at the at police station that's fine you know maybe they don't like her but yeah. like in the bus i'm like this is weird that no one's talking her self-imposed silence makes sense for yeah, her yeah, as a character sure. yeah but yeah. I, I i was also looking for like at the at the end of the movie, some explanation for why no one's talking. Like maybe mm-hmm. th- they're mm-hmm. all possessed, or something. You know, like something would explain why they're no. But that didn't really happen in quite that way. Anyway, um, so the, the townspeople are under control, invasion of body snatcher style. You find out that basically everyone in the town hates her because she accidentally killed her friend when she was little ten years ago. Um, in a fight, she like threw a, like swung a rock at her and, and knocked her friend out, and she died. Um, the reveal of that too is is so really well done, yeah. exquisite. It's just with a red color and then like mm-hmm. time freezing when it happens. It's it's amazing. It's really it's really mm-hmm. well done. Uh, this happens because she's been taken up to the alien ship and they're probing her and revealing her memories and stuff like that. Um, uh, and by the way, like the the you know I called out the red tractor beam situation earlier, but the match cut when she like. The the thing goes into her mouth and then she's instantly in another place and then she rips the thing out and then she's instantly back. It was yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, this is amazing work. Um, okay, so then she gets taken up to the alien ship, they probe her memories, and then they have a little conference and they're like, Hey, guess what? We don't they need have a little to, TED uh, talk. Yeah. We don't need to uh mind control this person. We're we're good. We don't need to mind control. They put her back down to earth, and then at the end of the movie, she is living happily with the people in town who are now all being mind controlled. Uh, and, but she is not, she has been left, left to her own devices. So I am curious if you had any interpretation of what goes on there. I think two of two explanations I think are, are plausible are number one, the aliens decided they don't have to mind control her. She's going to be happy just to be among the living again. Mm -hmm. Uh, number two is the aliens had compassion on her, right? They're like, Mm -hmm. Hey, this woman has had a really difficult life. So we don't need to subject her to this and she's going to be just fine the way she is. Um, but I'm curious if, if um, you know, any of those resonate with you or if you guys had a different interpretation. It didn't quite hit me that she wasn't being mind controlled at the end. So I mm. guess that 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 makes a certain amount of sense. Right. And One of the difficulties she, when you have yeah. no dialogue is like you don't know if she's being mind controlled or not at the end. I, I don't think she was. That was my... Yeah, yeah. Perce- no, that, some, that makes some sense. of her mannerisms, right, yeah. That makes yeah. absolute sense. But also, I mean, we are introduced to her basically, you know, creating a dollhouse version of the town and just trying to like have her own existence there. So... And the aliens you know. basically made it for her. The aliens exactly. basically yeah. created that, exactly. that mer- version for her. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it, it's it's sort of like, it's very much like contact, sort of, right? Like the aliens like tap into you and reach into you, your memories and express things to you in certain ways. But yeah, that's it's creepy and freaky and I'm still thinking about it, yeah. Yeah, that that was my interpretation. It was more the, the latter of your two options, Dave, was mm-hmm. that it, it was more that they found the one person in the world for whom body snatching is a better outcome than her life, mm-hmm. right? For her... That's the irony is right for her having everybody overtaken by, (laughs) by uh, aliens is the best possible situation, right? Is, is, it, it, it absolves her, well, not absolves her, but it, it, it removes that stigma uh, that has persisted uh, her whole life. She's given a, a clean slate and is able to live 
happily and go out of her house and interact with people yeah. because no one is holding things against her anymore. I almost wonder if the aliens are just tired of her. They're like, you've killed. How many of us have you killed? <laughs> this, this girl? Like, I, she's just too much trouble. Let's, let's throw her back out there. I'm not going to yeah. deal with this anymore. No right. more, like, no more effort on this human. Maybe it was please. like a game recognized game yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah. Where they're like, you know. All That's right, you kill like, our guys. We'll, you know, we'll that you... part, like, like that part where the Rock decided to to help out Vin Diesel. You know, he's like, you know what? I've been tasked to take you in, but you know what? Game recognized game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hashtag family All right. with aliens. Mm. <laughs> All right, now she can have a family. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so so and and Jeff, do you think she's under mind control at the end there? I do not. I I, I thought yeah, that she I, I agree, came to some sort of some sort of equilibrium, you know, like, yeah. like, you know, she's, there's an understanding. She's like, Hey, you let me live in my, uh, mm -hmm. she, she took the, whatever the pill is that you make sure you go back into the matrix. Right. She's like, yeah, Hey, we're yeah. cool. Yeah. We're cool. She's the person that wants to go back into the matrix. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and like, every, cause it's better. You know, it's better it's than, better. than yeah. where all the people were angry at her. Yes. You know, Zion sucks. The food sucks at Zion. Okay. <laughs> right. Anyway, at the end of the day, it's really, really impressive that Brian Duffield made a movie. All right, let's get to our review of Dumb Money. Holy fucking shit. I will tell you, I've never seen anything like it. Holy fucking shit. Is the craziest I think I've ever seen. Everything okay? 11 fucking million dollars. What are you gonna do? Get a Ferrari? What the fuck? Oh, language, the baby's here. Yo, what up, everybody? Roaring Kitty here. I'm gonna pick a stock and talk about why I think it's interesting, and that stock is GameStop. I love this guy. Welcome to the film cast review of Dumb Money, which is out in limited release right now. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Dumb Money is the ultimate David versus Goliath tale based on the insane true story of everyday people who flipped the script on Wall Street and got rich by turning GameStop, yes, the mall video game store, into the world's hottest company. End quote. All right. Before we even talk about our thoughts on this, what do we all think about this trend of making movies about stuff? That, that just literally happened. just happened. That yeah. just happened. It's certainly not stopping, is it? <laughs> certainly continuing. I mean, we had it's movies confusing. like We Crashed, you know, The Dropout. Um, and uh, these but are it, movies that, it's been like five plus years since a lot of those things, or at least the part, those parts of the stories they're, set, they're telling. This <laughs> just happened. Yeah. This just happened. I'm yeah. still like recovering. I've talked to people covering this story. So it's just wild. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel, but I don't know what the utility of it is, mm -hmm. right? Like, if this movie had something really deep and profound to say, maybe I'd feel differently. Um, and I guess we'll talk momentarily about whether or not that's the case. Sure. But uh, but I think it's it's odd. It's odd because, uh, and I'll just say this, and then I want to hear what Jeff Kanata has to say about the movie itself. Uh, I think that having some time separation allows you to make more meaning out of the mm -hmm. situation. Make mm -hmm. like look back on it and understand it in a different light and contextualize and like, it. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what lessons did we learn from that whole thing? And, uh, I don't know that the, you know, this, this, the events of this movie took place, I think less like around three years ago, two years this ago. This movie right? is based on a book. So a book had to be written about <laughs> those events, then translated into a screenplay and filmed as a movie 
I don't know how that happened in two years. Well, the but, answer to that question is that the book was written by Ben Mesrick, and if mm-hmm. that sounds familiar to you, yeah. uh, he is the guy that wrote the book uh, on which the movies Twenty One and The Social Network were based off of. Um, and he once told NP like his his whole deal is you know making a book out of real life events, mm-hmm. uh, doing it in a very readable way, and doing it very quickly. He once told NPR, "quote." My dream was never to win a Pulitzer or win a National Book Award. My dream was always having a tie-in paperback that said, now a major motion picture. End quote. So, <laughs> mission accomplished, sir. Mission accomplished America. multiple times. Hashtag America. Also the story of this movie. So, yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. Anyway, Jeff, I think you were going to say something? Uh, I was. Now I've forgotten what okay. it was. Sorry. Uh, yes. The... <laughs> the uh, no, I don't know. I don't know okay. what to say. No worries. No worries. Well, 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 let's get to the movie. So, anyway, it's weird. It's weird that we're making movies out of stuff that just happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the lack of time really prevents these movies from being that insightful. That's me personally, but let's hear what you guys had to say. So Jeff Kanata, what did you think of dumb money? I guess you could say what I thought of dumb money is best summed up in the form of a limerick. All right, let's hear it. Jeff Kanata. I still struggle with an assessment of what the game stock stock buying quest meant. But once you begin it, this film's hundred minutes itself is a worthy investment. Oh, wow. Okay. Nice. nice. Really nice rhymes, too. I like that one, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah. I did not expect to like this movie. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really interested, to be honest. I all, <laughs> I remember what I was going to say a second ago, which is yeah. uh, I'm sure you guys also remember going through it, living through it, low those three years ago, uh, saying... Everybody was saying, man, this is going to be a movie. This is going to make mm-hmm. a movie. They're going to make a movie mm-hmm. out of this. They're, they're, oh, man, this is crazy. <laughs> this is so nuts. There'll, uh, there'll be a movie, you know? Uh, and sure enough, here we are. And I did not think I was going to enjoy this movie. I did. I did enjoy this movie. Now, that being said, the summary that you introduced this movie with, which is the ultimate David versus Goliath story. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know. This movie frames this event as as this populist uprising, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if if that is accurate. I don't know. I mean, there are it kind of was. I mean, elements of it. Yeah. And I think at this point we should say probably we're not going to do a spoiler section for this this movie probably yeah. like it's based off of real life events. So you if should you're assume to the show. You live through it. You live, okay. you live through it. You live through it. You, so Unless if you, you're two and a half, if you weren't, perhaps, if, yeah. if you weren't paying attention at all to what happened and you don't want to know the details and you should assume there's going to be details of what happened in real life, uh, in our conversation, but yes, go ahead, Jeff. There are elements of it that were that, but I, this movie yada, yada, yada's a significant series of steps mm-hmm. um, that I, I wish it hadn't. Right. And I don't know. I think it, it's a much more complicated uh, series of events that went from, Hey, guy doing thing in his basement to everybody on board. And the movie just sort of yada, yada, yada is that bit. And it kind of, you know, it, it, it manages to weave in um, um, several different characters and de- several different walks of life and use them as stand-ins for a, a greater mass of people at large, which is clever, but I don't think tells the whole story of what really happened here. Would I have preferred a documentary about this? Yes. 
did I still, I think, sort of get won over by charming actors, a sort of rousing uh, story that I don't even necessarily think is completely true or, or accurately represents the tenor of what went down here. But if I just look at it as a movie instead of a record of events, it's a pretty, I think, a pretty good movie. It, it's a, it's a, it's a pablum, right? It's a, it's a, uh, it's a bandaid as Hollywood often is over actual problems. And it, it presents this notion that, oh my gosh, didn't we did something, we did something. We're going to make we a af- difference. We affected yeah. real change when we did not. You know, yeah, like, there, there's this scene in uh, Succession when Roman, uh, the, the kind of f up son at the time, uh, he encourages his father to to shut down a massive division of the company, and he has no reason for saying why they should do this. Uh, but he's just like, ah, it's what I felt like saying. And then his, uh, his girlfriend at the time says, you know, you did a thing, you know, you did a thing. And it wasn't like you did a good thing. It wasn't like you did it well. It's just, (laughs) you did a thing, you know, this this movie is like the, you did a thing, you know, of yes. And, and personal investment. (laughs) So I, I, I'm of two minds here because part of my mind is like, that's insufficient in this case, right? That's insufficient in explaining this phenomenon or representing this period of time that is so recent that I re- recall it vividly. But the other part of me is, says, if I sort of accept the premise, which is Hollywood wants me to walk into a movie, pay my $14 and walk out feeling good about the world, it accomplished, it accomplished that and did so charmingly and you know it presented characters that i uh, enjoyed hanging out with for the period of time i was watching them it you know i i actually think as a film it was pretty well made and, yeah. and i enjoyed it it, but and it, it moves you know it and it's moves like, it's in and out you're 90 minutes and you're done you know yeah like, craig gillespie yeah. i had, like, a, that's I had a great yeah. time with this i had a much better time with this movie than i anticipated even if what it represents is potentially disturbing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right. Well, glad you had a good time, Jeff Kanata. How about you, Divinger Hardware? What do you think of Dumb Money? You know, I liked it overall as a movie. I think it's a lot of fun, mainly because there were some really smart decisions here. Like, I think the, sc- the screenplay, which is uh, co-written by two people f- uh, who did uh, Orange is the New Black, uh, Lauren Shukerbloom and Rebecca Angelo, like they clearly have a good sense of the story. Um, bringing in separate characters to give different perspectives to it, I think works well. But also, whoever casts this movie is is a genius because just like <laughs> every, almost every role is filled with people who you either recognize or who are at least very good at portraying the kind of person they're meant to. I think specifically. Um, I mean, Seth Rogen is kind of amazing here as sort of like not quite a billionaire, but a successful hedge fund guy who wants to be a billionaire and has billionaire friends. And um, I, I was struck thinking like, man, this guy has come a far away from uh, portraying like a high school, uh, you know, loser in Freaks and Geeks, right? To now where he could just successfully be, yeah, he's just a very rich man. He's fully in command of this world. But I think um, the casting all around, is fantastic um and they like everybody just makes this movie really enjoyable it's a strong script it's really funny there's it moves quite a lot 
I just felt really weird watching it because not only did I live through the story, like I covered part of this too. Like it's, it's something that I've talked about as part of my job. Um, and so to see it like consumed and like re recontextualized in dramatic movie form, I think feels like a little bit like whiplash. It just feels like, I guess we're used to seeing this from like maybe a YouTuber or something, you know, somebody who's really good at like breaking down information and reconveying it, but to be a Hollywood movie that is in it's in limited release right now, but um, it was pretty much every New York theater I saw has a huge cast has like a pretty decent budget. It seems like too. Um, So to see, see it immediately go through the Hollywood machine, you know, this is a sensibly a story about, it is about retail investors. It's about normal people who are following trends on Reddit and, you know, they feel out of the loop because our entire um, banking system, our stock system, or the entire financial system is not built for normal humans. It's built for the big machines. It's built for the investment banks and the people who have money. Um, So to see this, like start with like a Sony corporation logo, you know, (laughs) I feel like it's just, there are so many like incongruous things going on in this movie. Um, but no, I had a good time with it. I'm still thinking about like what this, what this ultimately means for the way we like think about history, because I think history is best made yeah, with a little bit of time and context and like thinking done into it. There is a bit of that here. I don't think this movie totally, it, it is trying to make a point, but I wonder if it may be a little too pat. I wonder if like it want. I almost wonder if it's like a little insidious in that the story, the movie is going to be the version of the story a lot of people see. And I think by the end, you'd be like, yeah, change happened, right? Like these you did these a retail thing. investors, you they did, a, did thing. a thing, but also it was a good thing. They really stuck it to the man, right? And yeah. moving forward, this will never happen again. It's true. This will never happen again because it's meant to protect the interests of billionaires and bankers and, you know, investment banks. So, yeah, it's never going to happen again because um, a lot of the financial institutions and government regulations have reshifted to keep those folks safe. And the movie does show that like, hey, this guy really fucked up, (laughs) but his friends came in and saved him to the tune of billions of dollars. Um, Those points are made in the movie, but I almost feel like. I almost feel like it should have been a little bleaker. Like this feels like what Fincher brought to the end of the social network, right? Which is a far less realistic movie, like totally invent situations and characters and what people yeah. are doing. But I think cuts to more of the truth of what was happening than maybe this movie does. Right. It's, I it's mean, almost like if, if the end of Rudy, it was like, and they never allowed another walk on again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, like, he did it. He really he did, did it, it, everybody. <laughs> he did a good and, job. Uh, the and the system it, decided no more never, walk-ons. Never again. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, Social Network was obviously written by Aaron Sorkin, and he had, uh, he wanted to kind of remake it as a Shakespearean tragedy about mm-hmm. friends that, like, fell out from each other, which, like, there are many components of that that were, that were accurate, you know? Uh, but, I agree with you, Devendra. You know, I might disagree with you about what the social network is trying to say, but I agree with you that, like, um, that the social network uses these events to try to say something. Yeah, and Ventura is a lot more cynical, and I feel like this movie could have maybe used a little more of that. I agree. I think there's a big part of that. I think also Mm -hmm. the situation that the movie tried to cover is too complex. Yes, for for the 100 minute runtime. So I'll I'll just give an example. Um, Robin Hood 
is an app that many people use to invest in GameStop. And there's a whole thing that like <laughs> went wrong when they shut down trading on Robinhood. The Winter um, Soldiers, one of the CEOs of Robinhood. That is where we are. Man, yeah. so and, weird. Uh, and that whole situation, that that could be a movie in and of yes. itself. That yes. Everything that went down there and so on. And that's more interesting than the WeWork scenario. But it's yeah. kind of just like a footnote in this in this movie. And so like that's just one example of how the movie's reach exceeds its grasp to some degree. I think that at the end of the movie, you know, I, I feel like a lot like Jeff felt, which is, hey, I had a great time with this. That was, it's a perfectly cromulent film. It's a perfectly fine, enjoyable film. I think, I think it it's had, more than cromulent. Like, it is genuinely good. Like, it's a genuinely it's good. Cromutastic. Com- it's cromutastic. More than a good sit. I think it's I, funny. Like, I it's love, effective. I love that you're referring to it as though cromulent is an understandable term <laughs> that we all know the definition of. I mean, um, it is. Yeah, we all but, grew up. So you like you liked yeah. it more than you you you. you I, Cromulent is a, is it a, a synonym I think for it's, fine? It's, right? Like it yeah. does distill the story to the point where a general audience can go and watch it and laugh because mm-hmm. these situations it's are true. ridiculous and having recognizable stars, you know, convey this information. I think makes it more um, more effective for a lot of people. I do want to say, like, there there are little bits of specificity I really liked here. I really liked Keith Gill's uh, basement setup. Yeah, because it felt yeah. very true to life. Felt very he has true. A little GoPro that's play, like it felt like the tech. We we all yeah. have like fairly sophisticated streaming setups, so we all game recognize yeah. game. Like we all know, like <laughs> you know. That, I, I understand. That, that, like there, there's tape. There's tape holding certain things together. It's like yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand yeah. like what that is like, but also like little bits of things like Dane DeHaan is in this movie playing like a kind of a shitty local GameStop manager. And when that character appeared, he wears a mask most of the time. I was like, I've worked for like retail stores and had shitty managers like that. It's like that, that character is spot on. He even had, he even has like a little terrible little rat tail. If you really look, he has like that behind him, but also you could tell it's Dane DeHaan because it's, he has a very specific intonation. Yeah. Um, it's little things like that. I think the movie does do right. It's the broader picture that I'm a little more worried about. Yeah. What, what I think the movie does provide a really valuable insight into is what that period of time mm-hmm. was like in America, right? Which is like, uh, it's rare to go see a movie that took place during the pandemic where people are actually wearing masks in situations where they were, it would make sense for the, them to wear masks. I think they like decided if we're going to make this movie about GameStop, we can't ignore the pandemic because that's a significant part it's, it's of why people, yeah. why people decided to do some of the things that they did. And so uh, I appreciated that they had sometimes long scenes where people were wearing ma- like recognizable stars and actors mm-hmm. wearing masks through the entire scene. Of course, um, my, my, uh, my perspective on the mask wearing is mixed because on the one hand, uh, you have Dane DeHaan being yeah. an a- like using being mask an wearing about as it. an asshole, yeah. uh, and like that, like him being really rigid about masks, and yeah, fuck him for trying to keep Anthony Ramos yeah. safe, right? But no, um, th- that yeah. that is unfortunately the the tone that's that is the legacy of that period of time, and there's nothing we're going to be able to do to change it's, it. It's right? true. It's, it's true. I, I think I think the movie does do like a pretty well-rounded job of it though right like mm-hmm. you you see people being dicks about masks but a lot of times masks are just used with no commentary at all and um and that I also appreciate also the fact that every time there's a billionaire he is unmasked yes and everyone around him is masked and it's all like, his minions are masked he, he has to, everyone yeah. needs to breathe his particles but like he can't right. breathe their part and so like mm-hmm. I appreciated that it showed these things, even if I don't like the fact that, yeah, it shows like, like just because mask wearing is such a loaded cultural, God you damn. know, element right now for, yeah. for reasons I can't comprehend. Um, 
but the fact that they showed all these different kind of ideas of masks, I appreciate it. And it does provide this useful snapshot. Like we can look back years from now and watch this movie and get a pretty good sense of like what that time in our lives was like. And I, I, I think, appreciate it. Has I some think value it's pretty there. clear yeah. that the history has already been written that mask wearing is perceived in general as this stupid thing we all did. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. and, and I think that's sad. Even though yeah. we are entering a new season of COVID and we yeah. like, you gotta <laughs> get those masks out, people. Right. The, I, the, I, you know, I, I wear a mask. The, yeah, go ahead. Even yeah. the, I think even the most strident, uh, you know, safety conscious folks of that time at this point, it, it, it's weird to me that there's this, the accepted, the accepted yeah. truth is, oh, it was pretty dumb for us all to wear masks. Like, it hurts my heart a little bit, but it depends I, on who you ask. It does, yeah, it does yeah, depend depends on who you, you ask. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not the accepted truth on this podcast, obviously. No, I, of course I, not. Yeah, but right, I think right, I think yeah. I'm I'm I'm. But I think there's a lot yeah, of people general, who don't like cultural the cultural yes. uh, like opinion of it. Is like that, I said, the, I, the yeah, history yeah. has been written, right? It, yeah, it's I think like that's the way it's going to be remembered in the long tail of history. Is this like yeah. Right, this, and I think uh, yeah, it's it's sad, and I think you're right, Jeff, that there is some value that the movie preserves that in some way, right? Like, and so, yeah. um, but anyway, for for the mm -hmm. record, I still I'm one of the few people I know that still masks anytime I'm inside with other people that I don't know. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I know that makes me uh, a minority, like a someone who's in the minority. Or maybe we just have to get used to like uh, doing it more. You know, when things when you're getting to cold and flu season, do it more. So. Yeah, that, that would be See, awesome. Summer was free. That'd be awesome is if we had any kind of rational conversation about it. But if yeah. we cared about other anyway. people in any way whatsoever. Anyway, that'd be great. Whatever. Anyway, okay. So uh, the the thing that really kind of chafes about this movie, though. So we're gonna get to we're gonna talk about the ending of the movie now. So here we go. Um, I know we've been spoiling the whole time, but. And by the way, the events of the movie took place in 2021, not 2020. Mm -hmm. So like mm -hmm. even later than we thought. Even later. Um, is, uh, this summer, last Tuesday <laughs> in theaters. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no worries. Um, the ending text is really mm -hmm. um, silly, I think, you know, because uh, cause the, the movie basically ends with, hey, Melvin Capital had to shut down and, you know, the investors never could ignore dumb money ever again. And like, yeah. dumb money being uh, a, a saying for retail investors, like yeah. private, you know, private citizens. It's very much a, that's the end of that chapter. Folks. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Roll credits. It's like, it's like, oh, so now they, now the uh, big investors, institutional mm -hmm. investors have yet another tool to get one over on the little guy. Like, yeah. Cause now they're monitoring everything that we're, you know? So it's like, yeah. I, the movie wants to give you this sense of like victory, but it's like, this is a tiny blip it's a yeah. it's barely a fart in the in the history of you know big money dominating everyone else right like mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. it, it seems like you guys are agreeing with me that yeah 100 yes, yes, very weird yeah congress it's it a weird to, it needed to be a darker movie right it yeah. needed yeah. to be a darker movie given what actually happened i think right yeah yep so this, this is why i was talking about the the fincher thing whereas like, i think yeah. like at least his worldview not the not the most optimistic very guy cynical. around very cynical, yeah, very cynical but also Kind of, kind of needed that too. Like there, there is. I think like it may just be Gillespie, right? Like Gillespie is so good at being an energetic storyteller, right? Like I Tanya, um, the his TV work with physical and like he's done a lot of TV work at this point. Like he is just so good at making something engaging and punchy. And sometimes you just gotta feel bad. 
you know? And I think this movie is too afraid to let people feel bad sometimes well, because I feel it's, bad. It's an, irresist- it's an irresistible David and Goliath story where it's like, yeah. hey, this is one time the little guy actually got some, this guy started with $50,000 mm-hmm. and was able to convert it to millions of dollars, right? Like yeah. that's an amazing story. I know people story. who've made money like doing, yeah. doing the GameStop stuff, you know? Yeah. Like it, it is, you could, tr- you're probably not too far separated from people who were participating in this. If we had all dumped our life savings <laughs> yeah. into GameStop, yeah, at the t- at the beginning of this, and got we, out, we probably wouldn't even be doing this podcast anymore, you know. So that could have been life changing for us. Yeah. Um. But the the problem is obviously like the broader context in which it's taking place under, which is yeah, that institutional investors do have a lot more tools and a lot mm-hmm. more advantages. And I I'm glad that the movie doesn't shy away from that because you do see like Melvin Capital is bailed out and nothing nothing happens to the Robin Hood people like yeah. Uh, and the, uh, they, the retail they, they're not, investors they're not rich you know or, yeah. or or they're less rich than they would have been if mm-hmm. they actually handled it well um, but the, the normal but, people get hurt like they lose money yeah. you know like uh, especially i feel really i feel so bad for america ferrera's character like, <laughs> right it, is, it just happens to a lot of them but uh, that that idea too like there is a running undercurrent that the idea that anybody is just like so eager to like put all their savings into like one thing in this mysterious app which is the idea that you can have a stock trading app that doesn't require fees always felt fishy to me, you know, but okay, here's $50,000. Here's, here's, I'm chasing the American dream. And there is something sad about that too. Like that is what we are, we, we, a lot of people reflexively do because we kind of feel powerless under the system of capitalism, right? So you take whatever little bits you can get. And I, I also would have loved for the movie to maybe wrestle with that a little more too, but that's not fun. So, yeah, I mean, it's not even that, Devendra. On Robinhood, you can trade in such a way that you can lose an infinite amount. Yes. You, you don't you don't even need money that you can, you know, anyway, it's 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 wild what is allowed on there. But what one thing, one other thing I want to praise the movie about is the last five years. Money has felt really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. <laughs> And you shouldn't roll true. around on it so much, Dave. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you have this thing like GameStop. You have, remember the AMC became a meme stock as uh, mean stock as well. Um, NFTs were a huge deal for a while. Now oh, I can't mostly, wait till that movie comes out. They're mostly worthless now. Um, Bitcoin. You know what I'm saying? Like that yeah, was yeah. that. That's a thing where you could you could, like this guy. There's a story of the guy who bought two pieces of Bitcoin that would have been like millions of dollars now if he hadn't if he had just saved that money instead of buying two pieces you know like basically like we i think for much of our lives have associated oh if you work hard Mm -hmm. you can make money and eventually hopefully become rich where it's like no some people aren't doing jack shit they're just buying bitcoin and now they're rich or they're you know buying gamestop another and it's like the our sense of money has been kind of unmoored and i do think that the it's movie not just the last five years it's like sure. since the 08 financial crisis like it is since like we like dave like, we essentially entered the workforce into shit like the world <laughs> fell apart it's and then it's, bank of it's America, true that stocks yeah. and hedge funds like those have yeah. been around for a long time but i guess i would say um money as accessible to regular yes, like yes. Mo- like financial instruments as accessible to regular people well i'm, I'm peeling this history than usual, i'm right? peeling this history back because you're bringing yeah. up bitcoin and bitcoin happened as a direct result of the 08 crisis so like mm-hmm. bitcoin yeah, that's true. ended up being invented like 09 2010 or so like this stuff is all connected but even like i, b- I bought a house in 2020 right and dealing with the most money i ever have my realtor just kept saying like oh yeah money's free right now because interest rates were so low like things were just so weird 
So the system like just does not make much sense. Right. Right. I think that's ultimately it. So to and see I, people, I think this movie yeah. does a decent job of yeah. like capturing this idea of like, oh, this like this guy can make thirty million dollars in like six months. You know, like mm-hmm. that's just a what? That's a wild concept that I think the movie does a good job of, ca- of yep. capturing. So anyway, um, any good other music, thoughts? Good music in this movie too. Like I think it is a good selection of things that really crystallize how insane this this entire time frame was so when you open with wap and you kind of deserve it okay good job good job movie yeah <laughs> any other thoughts jeff canada on on dumb money no i think i think you guys are, are you know summing it up it is uh it plays like i think a fantasy <laughs> right even though it, it, it's literally a movie about two and a half years ago Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and, and, uh, I don't, Dewey I'm Cox died three minutes after this movie ended. Basically. It's like, <laughs> yes. it's, it's like we, they got the, you know, they, they got the money, yeah. but also the bad guys got away and now well, you can't, yeah. the ending text basically. And we it's never like, saw Keith Gill again. Yeah. <laughs> He's gone. Yeah. It's like if Oppenheimer <laughs> ended with, and that's all we ever heard about the atom bomb. <laughs> It's like, wait, what? I think we're <laughs> okay, folks. Uh, shout out to every bit player in this movie, too. Like, I think yeah. uh, Pete Davidson and Paul Dano together. Paul Dano, like, really just, like, leading this thing. Like, I think he did a great job of encapsulating, like, a nerdy guy. Yeah. Like, just, just like that bit. But also, everybody, like, uh, D'Onofrio, Nick Offerman, as the billionaires. Just, like, really, there's their scenes with D'Onofrio's character with the pig in the house. Yeah. Just, like, that is, that's some Pink, Pink Floyd shit. Right there, just like those guys like, can do smarm, man. Yeah, just so good. My Hala Harold from uh, Industry, great to see her in a big Hollywood movie. Anthony Ramos, like everybody, I love yeah. seeing everybody here. Even a uh, freaking uh, Olivia Thirlby shows up at some point. I'm like, yes, I know. We have where have seen... you been? Olivia Thirlby was so good in Dread, guys. She yes. was incredible in Dread, and it's like she needs to work more. Uh, like, I wish she I'd had love more to roles because she is she was awesome in dread she was in oppenheimer (laughs) she was in oppenheimer yeah oppenheimer yeah for like six minutes yeah anyway underrated actor olivia thoroughly great casting in this movie i'll underscore the paul dano thing because he um you know he's such an interesting actor Mm -hmm. but as a result is often playing real weirdos you know (laughs) And it's kind of fun. It's nice to see him as just like an everyman in this movie. You know? I mean, he's a pretty kind of a weirdo, though. Like, it's the thing. I, don't know. Like, I think it's, he, they, it's he, your financial analyst friend. You know? Yeah, but he's still he's still yeah. like a, he's a, within just one a, standard deviation of norm core. I mean, yes. he loves cats in this movie. Yeah. He loves cats, and he yeah. makes videos about cats. And it's like uh, there's a certain like nerdiness to him that I think is he's one step removed from the Riddler. Basically, right? I, like either use that power for good. Uh, or I don't think so. I, 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 I love he, him. I love he it. played in this movie much more like a normal, relatable person mm-hmm. than he often is given a chance to play. I mean, he's got a wife and kid. He's like living a normal life and, uh, you know, not the Riddler. Nancy Brown's his dad. Amazing. One thing I appreciate, one thing I appreciate about this film is it gives you an insight into the psychology of why someone would quote unquote hold in mm-hmm. that situation, you know, like, cause you think to yourself, Oh, I had my net worth was $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars six months ago. Now it's 20 million. Yeah. It's but I'm called not gambling, David. It's called I'm, gambling. I'm not going to sell any, like, it's like, you're not even going to take your principal off the table yeah. at least, you know, like, yeah. but it's because he followed this principle. I, I hit blackjack. 
All I have to do is keep <laughs> sitting here and I'll continue keep to hit blackjack. Here. I mean, I talked to people who made not millions, but a decent chunk of money from GameStop stuff. And like that, there was the Robin Hood idea or the, the David and Goliath idea was kind of a thing. It did feel like a lot of people felt they were sticking it to yeah. Wall Street and to right. to all these other investors. So like that was part of it. But, but the investors also thing. benefited. Like a they lot of investors also oh, benefited. Sure. So it's ah. like, and, and the the movie is really not well, the, the, super the, clear on that. The right? perverse part of it was that people thought they had control. Yes, yeah, and yes. that I think was the dangerous. Even as it was happening, I was like, my friends are like, we you can't lose because we are propping up the value. Right. And it's like, and it's like. Ah, mm. ah, <laughs> yeah, you forget about the government. You forget about regulators. You have, yeah. you do not have the control here, and that was the lie. That was mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. that was the 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 false pretext that people bought into. That I think made a lot of people lose their shirts on this thing because mm-hmm. it was like all we got to do is have diamond hands, and we can't lose. And I think the movie doesn't. I mean, we have we have the America uh, America for her, like America. does come out like a little bit worse than she went in. Oh, but I still but, think but you're right. That, like, yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. Te- the tone of the movie is she loved being a part of it. Yeah, and it enriched what a, her what life. A, and what a great ride! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, I, it, it, the movie doesn't really show the dark side of like yeah, as you said. Some people lost a shit ton of money on it. That's yeah. that's not conveyed. It so, does show like a form of online community, which does exist and can affect yeah. real world change. So that's, I, true. Like, that's all part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the day, mixed bag. But hey, it's impressive that Craig Gillespie made a movie. So that's gonna bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Filmcast. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Find us across many platforms, YouTube, Instagram, threads. At the Filmcast Pod, find us on TikTok at the Filmcast, uh, and support this podcast at Patreon.com/slash/FilmPodcast. Next week, boy, we got some really exciting stuff for you guys in store. We got uh, a review of the creator. I'm really curious to hear what you guys think of this movie. Because, Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, uh, I had a strong reaction, and a lot of people online disagree with that reaction. So, oh, oh, you, Dave, yeah. you, yeah. boy. <laughs> oh. But next week on the After Dark, also we are going to be doing a rewatch of The Exorcist, the William Friedkin classic, in preparation for Exorcist: The Believer. So stay tuned for that. And a huge thanks to everyone at Patreon.com/slash/FilmPodcast for supporting us. All right, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. They are Jeff Kanata, Devinder Hardor. I'm David Chen. We'll see you later. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>